You're listening to the EFC Podcast. Marilyn Draper is Assistant Professor of Practical Theology at Tyndale University College and Seminary in Toronto. She's an ordained minister and a church planter with a PhD dissertation called Lived Doxology, a Spiritual Theology for the Church and Mission. Marilyn spoke with us about church plants, small churches and their unique value, and what it means to be a successful church in Canada today. My name is Karen Stiller, and we hope you enjoy this interview. So Marilyn, for people who may be listening to this who don't know, can you explain exactly what we mean by practical theology? Sure. When I think of myself as a a practical theologian or how we talk about it in terms of the discipline of practical theology, we talk about three areas. We talk about the practices of culture, the practices of the church, and the practices of God. And where those three practices meet, that's the area of practical theology. So an example of a a practice of culture would be leadership. So how does culture see leadership? Well, then how does that compare with how God sees leadership? And then how does that connect with how the church sees leadership? And so then in that area, we would look at what is a biblical, theological, and also practical understanding of what it means to be uh, a leader in the church. Okay, thank you. That's really helpful because I I think it's helpful for us to understand how you are thinking when you're thinking about things like church plants and small churches, which I know that is part of what you concentrate on um, with your work. You think theologically about those things. Um, you, I know you've been part of several church plants and you've written about how some of them have failed. And um, I think one is still ongoing. You can bring us up to date on that. Talk to us about church plants and how we can think theologically about church plants right now in our culture. Okay, so often in the past, what we have done in terms of church plants is we have just thought of a Sunday morning. What we need to do is come into an area and we need to start a Sunday morning service. And what we've recognized is that is not really thinking deeply theologically about what the church is, that the church is so much more than than a service where people get together for a couple hours on a Sunday morning. And so now what we do is we look at it through the lens of discernment and the idea of mission. So what is God doing in a particular area? So the key question that I ask a group, if they're thinking about planning a church, is get in there and learn to see your community through God's eyes and ask the key question, what is the triune God doing in this area and how can we participate? And then as a result, the way that the the church plant develops is completely different. And often the church surface ends up becoming, you know, maybe step five or step six as opposed to step one. So how do you know, how do you find out what God is already doing? We talk about exegeting the community. And that is simply spending time in the community. So you would be walking the streets, you would be praying um, as a small group. So I'm thinking you've actually got a little bit of a team that you're starting with so that you're not totally on your own. And so as a team, you're walking the streets and you're praying, God, what are you doing here? And then you're talking to people, you're going in to see, to talk to shop owners, meeting them instead of having an office in a home or in a, in a designated church building or church place, you're actually making your office perhaps in a local coffee shop. And what you're doing is you're listening and you're asking questions. Um, what are the challenges here? What is the great thing about living here? What are the problems about living here? What are the resources that are needed? What are the resources that are 
over and abundant, how are people thinking in terms of spiritual and theological concepts? And so a lot of what you do at the beginning is simply listening. You're listening to God and you're listening to the community. And then you're getting together and you're talking about um, what you're what you're hearing in that process. I have lived in uh, smaller communities uh, where there were, you know, several really what seemed to be healthy churches. Uh, and then a church plant came in um, from like a larger church in another nearby city. And it kind of um, rippled the waters, <laughs> if I can put it that way, amongst the other churches. I think people are wondering why, why do we need you here? And, you know, what are you doing? And, and it seemed to be um, people from established churches would then go to the church plant to try to, you know, check it out, like new is better, that kind of thing. Can you speak to us about that? Because I think that's a real feeling uh, that can happen within established churches. I mean, we we all want to be about building the kingdom, but there can also be a little bit of I don't know, competition or something that happens. Yeah, competition is often uh, the first reaction to people. Although I can also say from experience, often what happens is when you come in and you start a new church ministry, you actually end up giving more to the to the churches, to the congregations in that area. Uh, for example, sometimes, well, it depends what your, your beginning point is. You talked about... Um, a congregation coming in and then attracting people from the other congregations that were already there. One of the reasons for starting a church plant on the ground and through listening is ideally you're going to be connecting with the unchurched people, the, the nuns and the duns, the people who, who either have never been exposed to Christianity and the good news that's inherent in the gospel, or they're people that maybe as children, but really have never been discipled in their faith. So ideally, if you're building relationships with those people, you're not starting a congregation that's going to be attracting people from the other congregations because you, you aren't putting on a show. Um, you're simply building relationships. And so a lot of it for the first while is, is, is not seen. And then in terms of that idea of competition, um, I know we've been involved in a couple of church plants where people came to know Christ and then they started to get more excited about their faith. Well, then they'd come to us and they'd say, okay, now we actually want to serve in this area, but this group is so small, we're actually going to jump to the more established congregation because it has the youth group that we want to help out with or the missions teams that we want to be involved in. So we actually found it's not uncommon for a small church plant to actually give people to the bigger congregations in their area. Wow, I that is I have never heard of that. <laughs> That's amazing to me. So you're saying that they would maybe come to Christ at the church plant or through the ministry of the church plant, and then um, head off to a more established church. I guess because it's bigger and has better programming. Is that what you mean? Yes, that kind of thing. Yeah, and often actually, it wasn't the people who actually became. Christians through the church plant now, and I'm thinking about specific people as much as people who had fallen away from the church or been hurt, and they needed, they came back and through relationships experienced healing, and then they were ready to take, make the jump back into the more established congregations. Okay, that's, that's interesting to me. So the church plant is, um, or church plants in general sometimes might be tending to those people who have fallen away, but 
it's like a safe doorway back into into the church for them. That's right. That's where church planting and small churches actually connect because the value of both is the value of relationship. All right. Let's, let's, can we talk about both church plant, small church, because I guess sometimes a church plant is necessarily a small church, Mm -hmm. at least for a time. How uh, let's talk about numbers because I think um, that like I've been part of many different sized churches through the years. My husband is a minister and it's very difficult to uh, disconnect from the idea that numbers mean success for a church. And I'd love for you to speak to us about that. We very much see numbers as success. I think because it gives us a way to analyze how we perceive God working. And because we're not sure that God is working in the midst, we say, well, people are coming to Christ or we're growing, therefore we're good to go. And it becomes a default mechanism because it's much harder uh, for us to think about success being faithfulness. What does it mean to be faithful to what God is calling us to do? Uh, so we, we start to think about, about failure and success differently. Um, one of the ways that I find really helpful to talk about success and failure is um, through Parker Palmer in his book, Active Life. He talks about instrumental action and expressive action. And so he talks about instrumental action being action that we specifically look to to achieve the ends. This is all about success and failure. And expressive action is more values. Uh, what what emerges out of who we are. And so I think as a congregation, we look to those instrumental things. These are things that we can do. We can see these results. And in a lot of ways, mission becomes a human-oriented project. So when I'm working with congregations, I, I like to look at those instrumental and expressive. And I say, actually, God's responsible for the instrumental. So God's action is instrumental, and it's expressed through the, through the incarnation, through the person of Jesus Christ who took on flesh and blood and lived and died and rose again. And that our action is actually not instrumental. Our action is expressive. That we express our desire to, to know God and follow God, and then God uses what we do do as an instrument in his hands to achieve his purposes. And so that helps us to take the emphasis off the numbers and off the programs and focus more on what it means to participate in what God's doing in the world. So what is church for? We talk about church being for the glory of God, right? But what in the world does that mean? Um, And so I often come back to the idea of one of the terms that's often being used these days is partnership, but I prefer that idea of participation. We are invited to participate in the very life of the triune God and then the very mission of the triune God. And then that's what church is for. And so church then becomes a congregation itself becomes what Leslie Newbigin talked about as the hermeneutic of the gospel. 
through actually the way that we live with one another in our communities, that becomes a sign of God's kingdom emerging among us. That becomes a sign of what the good news of the gospel is actually supposed to be. And then suddenly we may step back from our congregations and say, oh, you know, if, if we only ever interact for two hours on a Sunday morning, are we truly loving one another? And Jesus said that that's how we would be known is through our love for one another. So are we truly loving God, loving one another, and loving our neighbors through how we're actually living as church? So how can we as a congregation think more deeply about what it means to participate in God's very life and how the different members of the of the one person of the God communicate, love, serve, give? And what does that look like in terms of our congregation? Are we actually in tune with that? Or has church become something that we do in, um, in time together on a Sunday morning or perhaps in the odd activity that we do in our community? Yeah. For people uh, for whom evangelism, um, and maybe I could say like old-fashioned evangelism, even though I, I know that's probably not a correct term, but just so I'm clear on what we're talking about is so important um, and therefore conversion. And that's what they're talking about when they talk about numbers, say, and church growing, that it's evidence that people are sharing the gospel uh, with their neighborhood or their people they love. How how do we um, hold those two things together, that, that sharing our faith is important and, you know, bringing people into the loving kingdom, and then not thinking about numbers? I certainly don't want to lessen the importance of evangelism at all. Um, if, even if we are thinking of evangelism in terms of its, its more narrow sense of, of pro- proclamation, of actually speaking. But what happens is we tend to start equating that proclamation with propositions, so that we think, in order for me to share the gospel, it means that I have to ex- expand um, these particular concepts, right? God, God is good, but we're sinful and we have to accept Christ. And for some people, that can be helpful. If you're talking with someone who has some kind of a church background and understanding, that can be helpful. But where we're, we're leaning in terms of evangelism is to and be inviting people into the story, the story of, of what God is doing. So talking about Jesus is still primary, but we want to do it by inviting people into the stories. And so one of the things that we do in, in terms of evangelism, in terms of um, as we're teaching evangelism in, in the seminary, is we actually encourage people to develop um, times that you're going to be meet, meeting with your with your neighbors, with your unchurched friends, and you're going to be actually spending time in those stories. You take stories out of the gospel, and, and you actually look, not necessarily at what Jesus said, that will come later, but first, simply sharing stories of who Jesus is and what he's done, how he interacted with people, what he said, and get people to ask questions about those stories. Why did Jesus say that? Why did he do that? Why did he he wait 
to respond to this message? Why did he say what he did? And then as people see Jesus more as a, a multifaceted character and then recognize he's not just a character, but someone who is alive and still active and still working, then you're developing a relationship, not just between person to person, but between people and and Christ through the spirit as well. And that, that ends up, adds a whole different dimension to our evangelism. And then if we're actually living that out as well, um, that helps people to see that the good news is truly good news. And it's a story where I'm in, invited to it. It's almost like, whose story is it? And how do I get to join in? What about our own stories of... Um of change of God's presence in our lives, do, do they become even more important in this way of sharing then? Mm -hmm. I think so. It's interesting, both in the Old Testament, in Isaiah 43, and in the New Testament in Acts 1, God calls his people to be witnesses. So when you think about a witness in a court of law, what does a witness do? A witness has seen something, and then they're called to the front to testify. And they go to the front and they say, this is what I saw. This is what I've heard. And that's really what evangelism allows us to do. It, in our, where our story comes in, we tell people, this is what I've heard from God. This is what I've heard from the community of the church. This is where I have seen God at work. Why don't you come and, and listen and join in? And then that way, that, that person isn't being forced to make a decision just as a jury or, or people in a court of law aren't being forced. They're simply invited to listen in as the person gives the testimony. And I think sometimes we lose that aspect of witness. But witness isn't being coercive at all. Witness is simply sharing our story. I have seen, I have heard, I want to tell you and share with you and invite you to open your eyes to see where God might be working in your life. One of the things that I love about new Christians are people who are who are seeking, they will pray the strangest prayers and God will delight to answer them simply to give them a sense that God is at work and to help them open their eyes and open their ears. Yeah, that that is a wonderful um, breath of new life that I think new believers share with the church those sorts of stories and experiences. Uh, Marilyn, you, you mentioned seminary. You're um, a professor at at Tyndale in Toronto. I'm wondering how the seminary uh, in general is preparing um, leaders today for churches that might remain small and that that's okay. Can you share with, about that? At this point, we don't differentiate a lot between the size of churches. Uh, so people basically go through the same set of courses, whether they're going to be in, going into small or, or large churches, but often it's in the discussion times. Um, and I think even it's, even if you're going into a large church, a lot of those principles are still the same. You're still going to be needing to participate in what God is doing in your congregation. The I guess the real, reality is, though, that 85% of the students who are training for ministry will end up in small congregations. So we certainly make that 
a key aspect of our of our discussions of one of the things that we do is we do a lot of work in case studies. So they actually bring to the table what they're currently experiencing, um, a problem or, or a success. And we actually talk about their specific examples, helping them to learn to theologically reflect on God, what may do what, what God might be doing in their midst at that time. Do you think seminaries, um, I mean, <laughs> probably you're probably you have to say yes but um do do a good job of preparing pastors for what they're going to face in church world i think we could do better i what's happening is our culture is changing so rapidly and a lot of our churches have not been able to keep up so a key aspect of what we're talking about in terms of theological training is change and so I know at Tyndale, what we're doing is we're continually introducing new programs, intergenerational. That has been kind of off the table, and so we're bringing it to the forefront. The whole multi-ethnic aspect, um, what do you do with second-generation leadership? Uh, how do you look at evangelism, discipleship in light, of, in light of our culture? And what does that mean in terms of life and proclamation? So most of our our courses have added on voices of the marginalized talking about reconciliation because of our canadian context right what does it mean to reconcile with the indigenous peoples what does it mean to reconcile um, and to be hospitable to the number of different cultures that are in our midst it's fun teaching it to know because we do have so many different denominations and so many different cultures that you can actually have very lively discussions right in the classroom because you'll have people from a, a wide variety of backgrounds able to contribute to the learning process right in the classroom marilyn if someone was listening to this who was uh the pastor or a leader or even just attended a small church and was still caught uh, in that very human and understandable trap of, of thinking that, um, that a very small church is a church that hasn't grown mm -hmm. yet, <laughs> let's say, or, or that maybe they're, you know, not the, the fanciest show in town. How would you encourage them? The difference between a small church, I think, and a church plant is often that a small church plant thinks that they're a larger church in waiting, right? They will grow. Whereas a church that's that's quite old um, or has been there for many years and hasn't grown may have come to that conclusion, oh, you know, are, is there something wrong with us that we haven't grown? And certainly it's important to look at our, our neighborhoods. If the neighborhood hasn't grown, it's not surprising that we haven't grown. But even if we are in a neighborhood that has grown, and I know there's congregations that haven't, to say that's okay. Um, one, of the, one of the things that I've noticed lately is it's sometimes learning to ask the right question. I had a, a church contact me not that long ago who said, can you come and speak to us? We're, we're not growing, we've actually shrunk a little bit. And so we can you come and tell with us stories, what are other people doing in our neighborhood? Kind of what are they doing right that we can learn from? How, how can we grow? And I didn't answer for a couple of days because I wasn't sure that I was the right person to speak to them. And, and I thought, well, I'm going to respond and suggest that they ask a different question. 
And so I wrote back and I said, if you would like to reframe the question with what is God doing and how can we participate that? I said, then I'd love to come and spend a couple hours with your board. And within five minutes, I got a response back saying, your question is so much better than ours. And so what I do when I speak to those church boards is often they're relieved because we take the burden and the guilt off of them. Sometimes we're not doing evangelism because we feel like it's all our responsibility and so we don't know where to start. Or we're just feeling so guilty that we're not doing it. And so to go in and talk to those congregations and say, fulfilling the Great Commission is not your responsibility. It's almost more like it's a promise. God will make disciples. God is at work. God will make sure that the mission is accomplished. But God's inviting you to come and, and build relationships and enjoy what God is doing. And if we can just kind of then take a breath and go, okay, so it's not up to us. Then we can rephrase the question and say, okay, this is the reality. This is where we are. And it's okay. And God loves us. And God's not going to love us anymore if we're a thousand people. And God's not going to love us any less. Instead, God loves us completely. We are an important part of God's family. So now what do we do to love God, love one another, and love our community? And that gives people a very different starting place. Thank you, Marilyn. Where can people find you online? Are you, uh, do you inhabit Twitter or where can people follow you if they're interested in finding out more about your work? Actually, I don't, um, at this point, I just have an, an email. Um, I have my uh, mdraper at tyndale.ca. Um, I, I keep thinking that social media is, is uh, an important thing. People say, oh, you should do a podcast, but I just haven't got around to it yet. Right now, I do a lot of a lot of speaking, and, and I'm working on my writing. Wonderful. Well, you've just done a podcast with us, and we're very grateful. It's been good. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To listen to more and to subscribe to Faith Today, Canada's Christian magazine, please visit www.theefc.ca forward slash faith today.